Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning with your host, Gordon Deal. Cleared for takeoff. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Nicole Murray on this Thursday, January 25th. Glad you could be with us. Here's what we have for you this hour. Safety regulators say grounded Boeing 737 MAX jets can resume flying after airplanes complete inspections, but production will be limited. Corrections officials in Alabama can proceed with a nitrogen execution this evening after two courts declined to intervene. In sports, fresh from his championship at the University of Michigan, coach Jim Harbaugh is leaving for the Los Angeles Chargers. And the story of the woman who recorded her very awkward layoff. The person who was letting her go said it was performance-based, and she decided not to take it, and she started asking questions. And the person who was letting her go was clearly somebody who didn't know her or the situation. Right. And it was clear that the message was not aligned with reality. Career expert Julie Bauke on getting let go when HR doesn't have its ducks in a row. The giant shipping company Maersk says it's suspending its Red Sea routes after explosions nearby forced two ships operated by its U.S. subsidiary to turn around when they were transiting off Yemen, accompanied by the U.S. Navy. The company says both ships reported seeing explosions close by, even as the U.S. Navy intercepted multiple projectiles. A spokesman for Yemen's Houthi military forces said they fired ballistic missiles at several U.S. warships. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. I want to emphasize that these actions were taken in self-defense following, of course, the attack uh, on our forces in Iraq and in, certainly in, uh, consistent with international and domestic law. Separately, the Iraqi government has strongly condemned yesterday's U.S. strikes that targeted sites used by Iranian-backed groups on its soil. The Pentagon says the strikes on three facilities belonging to the Kataib Hezbollah milita- uh, militia and other groups were in direct response to a series of escalatory attacks against U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria. Corrections officials in Alabama have been given the green light to perform the first-ever execution of an inmate by nitrogen gas. We get more from this morning's Mike Gavin. Both the federal appeals court and the Supreme Court have declined to intervene in the case of convicted killer Kenneth Smith. Alabama botched its previous attempt to execute him by lethal injection. Barring any additional legal interventions, he'll be brought to the execution chamber in Atmore this evening. A mask will be placed on his face and then nitrogen pumped into it, depriving him of oxygen until he dies. Smith, who's 58, was involved in a murder-for-hire slaying of a preacher's wife in northwest Alabama 34 years ago. Gordon. Thank you, Mike. The execution is scheduled to take place at around 6 p.m. this evening, though it could be carried out at any time until 6 a.m. tomorrow. The New York Times says Mr. Smith has recently reported feeling nauseous with anxiety about the looming execution. Ain't that something? The Federal Aviation Administration has cleared the way for grounded Boeing 737 MAX jets to return to the skies, but is placing limits on their production. Most of Boeing's MAX 9 jets were grounded 19 days ago after a near catastrophe on an Alaska Airlines flight when a door plug was torn away from the fuselage shortly after it took off. It left a gaping hole the size of an emergency exit in its side. Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun testifying on Capitol Hill yesterday. We don't put airplanes in the air that we don't have 100% confidence in. I'm here today in the spirit of transparency. The FAA said its production limits affecting Boeing's 737 MAX not 
other commercial aircraft it makes. The agency said it would freeze max production rates at current levels. Boeing has producing about 30 of its jets per month at its factory in Renton, Washington, just outside Seattle. The National Transportation Safety Board is still investigating what caused that and might not issue its conclusions for months. If you still have landline phone service, you may have noticed that your monthly bills have been skyrocketing. That's because the FCC no longer regulates copper lines and phone companies are jacking up the price of their service. UMA is an internet home phone service that lets you keep enjoying the safety and peace of mind of a home phone without paying an arm and a leg. In fact, with a one-time purchase of the UMA Tello, you get internet home phone service for free. All you pay are applicable taxes and fees. Unlike mobile phones, UMA has address-based 911, so dispatchers will know exactly where to find you in an emergency. In the event you call 911, UMA can send a text alert to loved ones. UMA even includes a free mobile app so you can take your home number on the go. And don't worry, you can keep your home phone number for a one-time fee or get a new one for free. Setup is easy. It takes less than 10 minutes. Stop paying too much for home phone service. Visit UMA.com slash Gordon Deal today to get a special discount. That's O-O-M-A dot com slash Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Thursday for Donald Trump, New Hampshire, served up a set of danger signs along with a resounding victory. In-depth analysis from Aaron Zittner, editor and reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Aaron, where are we after Trump's two for two start? There's no doubt that this is a big win for him within the Republican nominating process, and he's rolling toward the nomination with his momentum, you know, uh, not missing a stride. But under the hood, there are danger signs that appear both from Iowa and New Hampshire, and they appear in two groups. The first is Republicans. The first thing you have to do as a candidate is hold your party together. You have to win 90% or more of your own party. Task one for any candidate is unify the party, rally it behind you. And in 2020, Trump did get 91% of Republicans. Here he's, you know, which means he lost 9%. Here in New Hampshire, he's bleeding 21% of Republicans in that 21% of Republicans said that if he was the nominee, he would be so, they would be so dissatisfied that they would not back him in November. Losing 20% of your own party is really untenable. Remember, he only lost 9% of Republicans in 2020, and he still came up short in the election. So mm. losing 20% is bad. Okay, so that's a comparison of uh, national versus just New Hampshire. Is New Hampshire some sort of outlier, perhaps, or is this a sign that other states could go this way also? Well, there's a chance in, that New Hampshire is an, uh, is an outlier. The electorate there is less conservative, less Trump-friendly, higher educated than, than Republican electorate uh, overall. But it's not so out of step with the country that it would be you know, that much of an outlier. And in Iowa, we saw, again, these numbers, by the way, come from AP VoteCast, which is a survey of the electorate in these primaries and caucuses. In Iowa, 15% of Republicans said they would not support Trump. These are 15% of Republicans who bothered to show up for the caucuses said they would not support Trump in November if he was the nominee. And that, that's still too big a number for comfort uh, if you're trying to rally the party behind you. The first task is unify the party. And both Iowa and New Hampshire showed signs that that isn't happening yet hmm. for Trump. We're speaking with Aaron Zittner at the Wall Street Journal. Independent voters here, Aaron, what are they saying? 
Well, that's the second uh, set of warning signs. In New Hampshire, Trump won 31 percent of independent voters. And he won so many Republicans that he, you know, comfortably uh, beat uh, Nikki Haley by double digits. But that 31% among independents is a warning sign. A lot of analysts say independents decide elections. And uh, in some uh, polling, Trump in 2016 won independents by four points, and he won that year. And then he lost independents by like 13 in 2020 when he lost that election. Independents are seen in many by many analysts as dispositive. And here he won 31%. Well, look, in 2020, nationally, he won 37% of independents, a larger share, and he still lost the election. So shrinking from 37% in a national result in 2020 down to 31% in New Hampshire is a warning sign that there's some deterioration there. And as you mentioned, maybe New Hampshire is a good proxy for the rest of the nation and maybe not, but it's a caution light for the Trump campaign. So can time heal some of these GOP primary wounds? Well, that's a great, that's a great uh, question. Anyone who lived through, uh, let's say, Obama versus Hillary Clinton in uh, 2008 can remember that there are rifts that develop in the party that do eventually heal people in a party too tend to you know do tend to be unhappy if their candidate doesn't win the nomination but then in the end stick with the party with trump it's a little different this trump versus biden election is just like nothing we've ever seen thanks aaron aaron zittner editor and reporter at the wall street journal 20 minutes after the hour on this morning here's nicole murray and now the three big things you need to know number one the federal aviation administration has halted boeing's expansion of its 737 maxed aircraft production meanwhile the faa has cleared its max nine planes for service after undergoing rigorous maintenance testing involving inspection of bolts guide tracks and door plugs boeing ceo dave calhoun I'm here today in the spirit of transparency to, number one, recognize the seriousness of what you just asked. Number two, to share everything I can with our Capitol Hill interests um, and answer all their questions because they have a lot of them. According to the Seattle Times, the mid-flight blowout was due to Boeing mechanics improperly reinstalling the door plug and panel during a repair. Number two. The U.S. intercepted missiles launched by Houthi rebels yesterday while escorting two Maersk ships in the Red Sea. The vessels, which were carrying U.S. supplies, was forced to turn around. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. Obviously, uh, underscores that the Houthis uh, still intend to conduct these attacks, which means we're obviously still going to have to do what we have to have to do to, to protect that shipping. The vessels and crew were unharmed and were being escorted back to the Gulf of Aden by the U.S. Navy. Number three. Maine's top court has declined to weigh in on whether former President Donald Trump can remain on the state's primary ballot. The judge said a decision will not be made until the U.S. Supreme Court rules on a similar case in Colorado. Maine Secretary of State Shenna Bellows previously ruled in December that Trump did not meet ballot qualifications under the Insurrection Clause in the U.S. Constitution. The U.S. Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court is set to hear arguments on the Colorado case on February 8th. President Biden has received a key 2024 endorsement from the United Auto Workers Union. Its president, Sean Fain, says Biden is more capable to help the working class organize for higher wages and health care. Fain also took the opportunity to bash Donald Trump. 
Donald Trump is a scab. Biden also won the group's endorsement in 2020. If you're a bird, then I'm a bird. Popular romance and heart-wrenching movie, The Notebook, is headed to Broadway. But as a musical, previews begin February 10th. Not going to that. I'm not going to cry in front of all those people. I, I cry enough on my own. Sitting I don't there. need a show to do it for me. <laughs> Glad you're with us. In just the first two weeks of January, we saw two major incidents, right? A Japan Airlines jet that struck a Japanese Coast Guard plane in Tokyo and an explosive decompression on an Alaska Airlines flight. If you ever have to evacuate an airplane, here are some things experts say you need to know. From Zach Wichter, travel columnist at USA Today. Zach, give us guidance. First of all, flying is extremely safe. It remains one of one of, if not the safest ways to get around. Um, but I wanted to help people feel more prepared. You know, if something goes wrong, it's always best to know kind of what your escape plan is and what the best ways to get out of that situation are safely, quickly, efficiently, um, and with the least uh, opportunity to get yourself hurt or worse. Mm. Uh, it seems unanimous from a couple of the safety experts you spoke to who, who pressed the idea of leaving everything behind if you have to evacuate. That's absolutely right. That's really kind of the key to a safe evacuation. Um, seconds can matter in an airplane evacuation, first of all. So bending down to pick up your bag from the seat in front of you or to get it out of the overhead bin can shave off precious seconds to getting to the door. But also those bags can, you know, damage the slide or get in the way of others trying to evacuate. So really for your own safety and for the safety of everyone on the plane, you need to leave your stuff where it is. Um, any item can be recovered or replaced, um, but if you get hurt or worse uh, during an evacuation because mm -hmm. you're trying to bring your backpack with you, that uh, can't be reversed. Wasn't it said, Zach, that, that that recent evacuation of a Japan Airlines plane that, that caught on fire, that was critical that those folks left everything <clears throat> behind? That's absolutely right. Um, I actually went back in the wake of that Japan Airlines incident and reviewed Japan Airlines safety video, which is posted on YouTube, and they make a really explicit point of showing how dangerous it is to get your stuff from the bin or from the seat in front of you in an evacuation, much more than I've seen on any U.S. airline. So that's really ingrained in the culture of that company. And a lot of people are saying that that was kind of a key factor or one of the key factors in everyone getting out of that fireball safely. Well, we're speaking with Zach Wichter, travel columnist at USA Today. His piece is called Four Tips for a Safe Airplane Evacuation. Uh, it got my attention when you had spoken to uh, Captain Sully Sullenberger, where he said even even he, at uh, his experience, still pays attention to the safety briefing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think personally that's really good advice. I also fly not nearly as much as Sully, but uh, pretty regularly. And I also make sure to watch the safety briefing every time, check the seat a pocket card to see you know where my life vest is and what I may need to know about evacuating the plane. Listen, even for people who fly all the time, every airplane is laid out slightly differently. And again, it's really important if you do have to evacuate, if the worst happens, you want to be prepared. So arming yourself with the knowledge of where the exits are, where your life vest is, exactly how you're going to get out of any situation you may find yourself in can make a big difference. Thanks, Zach. Zach Wichter, he writes the Cruising Altitude column for USA Today. Advancing the conversation, identifying trends, and informing the world. This is America's First News, this morning with Gordon Deal. 
Hey, thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Thursday. Gordon Deal with Nicole Murray. Some of our top stories and headlines. U.S. Navy intercepts missiles fired on commercial ships it was escorting in the Red Sea. Alabama okay to execute an inmate by nitrogen gas. The FAA clears Boeing 737 MAX jets once airline inspections are complete. Six apparent murder victims found in the Mojave Desert near Victorville, California, at a remote crossroads. New York City officials declare social media a public health hazard. Coco Goff knocked out of the Australian Open today, and the Good Samaritan, who delivered a lost wallet in person. That story in about 20 minutes. This portion of the program is brought to you by UMA. Copper lines are going away. Driving up the price of home phone service. Start saving with UMA. Visit OOMA.com to learn more. A woman who recorded herself getting fired has gone viral and sparked a discussion about termination etiquette. It seemed the person doing the firing at a San Francisco company called Cloudfare was not in sync with the woman's manager. In-depth analysis from Julie Bauke, career expert known as Julie on the job. Julie set this up. You know, as someone who for the first 10 years of my my career focused on careers, that part of my career, I worked with people who just been let go. And therefore, I got to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly about how companies handled layoffs or terminations. And for the most part, it was bad and ugly. There was very little good. And But there was no social media. There was nothing other than you going home to your spouse or friend saying, you know, that person wouldn't even look me in the eye. They yeah. couldn't even tell me why. And so it was, you could be, you could handle it poorly and it wouldn't really come back and bite you in the rear as an organization, except with the people that the person impacted shared it with. I do know that sharing it, that that doing it poorly really hurts a person's ability to move on in a healthy way. I know that. But now here we are. So this company called Cloudflare had a performance, had they said it's a cybersecurity firm and they had a reduction of 60 people and they put it down to, we're going to let you go because of performance. And they did it in video call. Yeah. Well, this young woman decides, she'd only been there since the end of August, okay? So she'd been there four months. And the person who was letting her go said it was performance-based. And she decided not to take it. And she started asking questions. Specifically, what is it? What were the performance? Um, measures that you set up for me that I didn't receive, that I didn't meet, uh, the fact that you just hired me four months ago and I've got nothing but good feedback. In fact, I haven't even had a chance to demonstrate what I can do. And they, she said, I, here's all the things I have done. And the person who was letting her go was clearly somebody who didn't know her or the situation. Right. And it was clear that the message was not aligned with reality. And so her pushing back, it's not unusual. So it, if this thing had not been recorded, I could see her asking exactly the same questions because those are very fair questions because the company mishandled it. Mm. We're speaking with Julie Bauke, career strategist we know as Julie on the job. And we're talking about this woman who recorded her termination at a company called Cloudflare. Couldn't, couldn't they just have told her we're struggling? This is merely a dollar decision. It's last in, first out. Yep. Wouldn't that have been the better approach or is there something wrong with that too? No, there really isn't. Um, you know, I can tell you that I sat across the desk from so many people who were just, they, they knew they were gone, they had left, and they would say to me, they would spin 
why me? Why me? Why me? They wouldn't tell me. Why me? And I said, I would say to them, it doesn't matter why you. Um, because even if, if you went back and tried to get them to tell you, there's nothing in it for them to be honest about it. Because all you're going to do is argue. And so companies whitewash it and they say things like, you know, we took a look across all departments and figured out where we could reduce headcount. And unfortunately, your position was impacted. You know, it's got to be that, I hate to say it, it's got to be that vague. Yeah. Because yeah. what happens from a company's perspective is they open themselves up to lawsuits, right. potentially. Right. If you're like, well, wait a minute, you know, you just blah, blah, you know, and so the more, because it's really uncomfortable anyway. And so the more the person pushes back, the more they put the company representative back on their heels. And in this case, the person delivering the message really didn't know why. And it was just that kind of pushback probably happens behind closed doors all the time. But this just laid bare that this was mishandled. And this video, Gordon, got 21 million views. Yeah, yeah. So now you want to go work at Cloudflare, anybody? Right. Do you like her approach here, by the way? I don't know. It's really, you know, I, I, I'm of two minds. I can talk from the other, from both sides of this. It is, it, it, she's shown light on a practice that companies need to do a better job in how they handle not only hiring, but terminations. All right. Thanks, Julie. Julie Bauke, career expert known as Julie on the job. Thanks for joining us. Welcome into Friday Eve. I'm going to give it a whirl here, live. Okay. Ready? This is my theme music for you. Oh, yeah. And now, time for the mic drop. Here's Michael Gavin. Wow. <laughs> I hope I can live up to that billing. Uh, probably not. Good morning. Well, there are around 140,000 people expected to descend on stadiums in Baltimore and Santa Clara for Sunday's NFL Conference Championship Games. And inevitably, some of those people are going to leave some stuff behind, some of it valuable and important. The guy who runs the lost and found at Lambeau Field has revealed some of the most common and the most unusual items fans forget to bring home with them. Keith Cronin, manager of guest services at the home of the Green Bay Packers, says there were around 800 items. Uh, give or take that made it to the lost and found this past season, including some valuable stuff like phones, credit cards, and even jewelry. Some of the more unusual items include a pair of shoes, a cane walker, hearing aids, and someone's dentures. More routine items such as hats, scarves, and blankets are kept at the lost and found for 60 days before being donated. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. I mean, how do you lose your dentures? And, I, or, or I how guess, do you not realize that you don't have them, I guess, when well, you walk so, out? So here's the thing. You're, you're sitting in Lambeau Field. It's uh, it's early third quarter, mm -hmm. and that breeze off of Green Bay right. startly uh, starts to make its way through your Carhartt outfit <laughs> and into yes. your deep bones. Gotcha. So you retreat inside the stadium, you get a nice brat and uh, and a beer, right? And you have to take your dentures out okay. so you can eat the brat, right? Yes, I can relate. Right? Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> like, it's a lot of meat, it's a lot of bread. You, you don't want the dentures, you know, getting caught up in that. You take them out. As you swig the beer, you start chatting with your buddies again, you turn around and go back into the stadium. Mm -hmm. That's how you forget your dentures. I mean, I mean uh, that certainly sounds in incredibly plausible. When, more plausible than but, anything I can come up with. But when you start cheering, go, pack, go. Yeah, like, right, don't right. you realize you're missing your teeth? Right, the right, the, you know, the, know. the, the wind, the wind kind of going through yeah, where yeah. your teeth are supposed to be. <laughs> and properly yeah. close your mouth? Yeah, that's yeah. That's the only thing I can suspect Yeah, that's, that's not, not, not too bad. That's okay. as good a theory as I've heard. And uh, we know how cold it's been in many parts of the country this winter, with millions of people desperately trying to stay warm like that fan of the Packers game. So imagine now, if you will, someone who on purpose spends hours in a box filled with ice. 
That was the case for a 48-year-old Polish woman who is now the Guinness World Record holder for the longest duration of full-body contact with ice for a female. The record breaker spent over three hours standing in a box filled up to her neck in ice, wearing nothing but a one-piece bathing suit to break the mark. Her time of three hours and six minutes was only about five minutes short of the male version of this record. That looked... Uh, very uncomfortable torturous <laughs> very uncomfortable i mean and i spend all my days just trying to stay warm yeah. these days i yeah. can't even imagine trying to do that i did do the polar bear plunge a couple of times yeah. like three times in a row but that was literally like 10 seconds mm-hmm. i mean it was jump in the water get out run back out and then get warm right. immediately not three hours encased in ice well to crazies like this woman the polar bear plunge would be used to warm up yeah right exactly Let me get out of this ice <laughs> And go jump in a freezing lake so I can get warm, for crying yeah, out loud. Yeah. Right? Hold, hold my beer at the polar oh, bear plunge. Man. Thank you, Mike. Ever feel like your finance software just isn't cutting it anymore? I say dump it. Hey, it's Gordon Deal, here to tell you about Ramp. It's the financial software you need to manage your expenses and avoid unnecessary work. You see, Ramp is more than a corporate card. It's a spending management software. It'll save you time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp? gives your finance teams control and insight. You can issue a card to each employee with specific limits and automated expense reports. Ramp will systematically collect receipts and categorize expenses in real time. Just go to ramp.com slash Gordon. No more chasing down receipts or long hours on reports. Businesses using Ramp save an average of 5% in their first year and now get $250 when you join Ramp. Ramp.com slash Gordon. That's R-A-M-P dot com slash Gordon. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank, members FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. Get $250 when you join Ramp. Ramp.com slash Gordon. Thanks for being with us. Our emergency savings accounts aren't exactly overflowing. A new survey from Bankrate finds that only 44% of us would pay an emergency expense of $1,000 or more from our savings. That's up from 2023 when 43% of people said the same and unchanged compared to 2022. Without savings to fall back on, 35% say they would borrow to pay that kind of unexpected expense, either by financing with a credit card and paying it off over time, taking a personal loan, or turning to friends or family. Inflation is a common culprit that's affecting savings. For example, 63% of U.S. adults say inflation is causing them to save less for unexpected expenses, while 45% say the same of rising interest rates. However, 19% of people say rising interest rates are causing them to save more for unexpected expenses. Other notes, 57% of us uncomfortable with the amount of emergency savings we currently have. Eight minutes now in front of the hour on this morning. Once again, here's Nicole Murray. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. The Iraqi government has strongly condemned the U.S. retaliatory strikes that targeted Iranian-backed militias in Iraq yesterday. A spokesperson for the Iraqi prime minister said the attacks would be looked upon as acts of aggression. Meanwhile, America has called these assaults on Hezbollah militants proportioned proportionate after a series of escalatory attacks on U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. I want to emphasize that these actions were taken in self-defense following, of course, the attack uh, on our forces in Iraq and certainly uh, consistent with international and domestic law. Number two. The Supreme Court has refused to stop Alabama from executing an inmate using nitrogen gas. 
Kenneth Eugene Smith will be put to death today via nitrogen hypoxia, in which a person breathes only nitrogen and dies from a lack of oxygen. A federal appeals court has called the method a cruel and unusual punishment. Smith faces the death penalty for his role in the 1988 murder of a preacher's wife. Number three. Russia has accused Kyiv of shooting down a military transport plane, killing all 74 people on board, including 65 Ukrainian pr prisoners of war. The flight was on its way to the Ukraine-Moscow border ahead of a prisoner exchange. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. We've seen the reports, but we're not in a position to confirm them. Uh, we're obviously doing the best we can to try to get more clarity and more information on it. Ukrainian officials did not immediately deny the claims or offer further details. Philadelphia police are on a manhunt for a teenage murder suspect who escaped from a hospital yesterday. Law enforcement is describing 17-year-old Shane Pryor as dangerous and says he may be operating in a stolen Ford F-150. Pryor's defense lawyer, Paul DeMau. He needs to turn himself in and, uh, you know, basically do what we need to do to fight this case. Pryor is being described as a 5'7 black male that weighs 180 pounds. Jon Stewart is heading back to The Daily Show, but just for one day per week. The 16-year host of the Comedy Central program will host The Daily Show every Monday starting February 12th. All right. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks for being with us. A California woman is reminding her neighbors of fond memories associated with Blockbuster Video through a free Blockbuster movie exchange. It's a spin on a little free library where people donate and borrow books. Free Blockbuster is the same idea, but the box is filled with films and is painted in Blockbuster's classic colors, blue and yellow. It was Alyssa Colgard, a video game developer in L.A., who wanted to share her love for films through a creative and sentimental project. Fox News says her husband is a professional fabricator for film and TV, so he helped assemble the perfect blue and yellow movie library. The free Blockbuster boxes are filled with DVDs. Colgard says she can also rent out VHS tapes, but those cannot remain in the box since they'd melt in the California heat. Her neighbors can rent and return their movie choices or even exchange a movie to help the collection grow. Colgard has filled her free blockbuster with a range of films from The Lord of the Rings to Reefer Madness. That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.